Good evening, everyone. I've already spoken, but <laughs> anyways, good evening. <laughs> um, I see a few people that I haven't met. My name is Liana. I'm married to Reino, who's a senior pastor here at Shofar Ronavash. At home with the kids. My privilege to be here with you this evening. Excited to share with you. Does anyone know what, let's see what time it is, right now in three minutes? Does anyone know what it is right now on the Jewish calendar? Yes, I knew Miranda would know. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah, New Year, in three minutes. We can all, should we do like countdown from 10? <laughs> but no kissing, okay. <laughs> um, Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year. Um, does, do the Jewish, does the Jewish calendar matter to us? Big question. Yes, it matters. Um, I used to have a dance group. This is like 16 years ago. And we used to dance at lots of different things, but also at Feast of Tabernacles. So I knew a lot of people who um, were really well familiar with all the Jewish traditions and calendars, etc. Um, at that time, I, I lost a few friends from the gospel because they, they loved the Jewish tradition so much and they started doing all of it, all the feasts and the Sabbath and the Jewish way and everything. And eventually they um, went all the way to believing that Jesus didn't, hasn't come yet. Back to the Old Testament. So I've seen it to the extreme and that didn't bear good fruit. Um, but there is a place where the Jewish calendar, that which is biblical, is from the Old Testament and it shows it's a picture of things to come. And I'm also going to speak tonight about a picture from the Old Testament which say something to us in the New Testament and, and the time that we're living today. But Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, New Year, um, who knows, uh, I don't know, let's see, the only person who could possibly know is Miranda, but <laughs> who knows which Jewish year it is now? Yes. <laughs> Five, seven, seven, nine. So in Hebrew, a nine looks a little bit like um, it's, it's got a connotation to new births. So it's actually a very exciting season. And I've read a few of the things that some of the prophets that I trust are saying. And one of the things that they are saying is um, that it is the year of the lion roaring, which is not new news to us, praise the Lord. <laughs> Glad they're all coming into line with where we're at. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Um, but no, it's exciting, and um, next, so 10 days from now, which is not Tuesday, next Tuesday, Biyom Kippur, does anyone besides Miranda know what that means? <laughs> day of Atonement, yes, we teach that at Bible school. What happens at the Day of Atonement? You see now it's, it's Miranda's son who knows. <laughs> So Day of Atonement uh, was a time when they made atonement for their sins. So you went to the temple and you, you paid for your sin. So from, from now, which is Rosh Hashanah, till the Day of Atonement was a time of repentance. It is a time to think of things that you need to repent for and then go and repent for it at the temple. Um, we don't need to do that anymore. I hope that you know that. Jesus, Well, we need to repent, but we don't need to go to the temple. Jesus died for us on the cross, so if you need to repent, you can do it right now. Don't have to wait. Um, <laughs> Wi-Fi, <is laughs> which is amazing. 
We have access to God, which is incredible. It's a privilege. Um, but what I do want to say is that I have sensed the Lord um, leading us into to that place of repentance. And I want to, um, which is really the spirit of revival, but I'll talk about that a bit now. I just want Johannes to share quickly uh, experience that himself and Louis had when they had small group last week. And no one ca- came for small group. Because <laughs> not no one came for small group. It was a... As it snarks, yeah, we in my small group. Where are they? Um, we we had this moment where we were just like fellowshipping and decided we're going to pray for our small group and started praying in tongues. And the Lord gave us words, and we just kept pushing a little bit and pushing a little bit and pushing a little bit. And Louis just started saying, "No, Lord, I want more. I, I love this feeling. You're here. I feel your presence, and I want more." And he swept me up, and then I started asking the Lord, "Lord." Can I see you? Can I can I feel you? Can I can I get closer to you? And he, he immediately started leading us in repentance. We had to repent about pride. We had to repent about all sorts of interesting stuff. But that's not what this is about. The moment I repented, I, I felt myself an empty house. And I asked the Lord, well, I know what that means. Fill me up. And I had uh, like this new insane infilling. And I was always falling to my knees and crying. And just in the presence of the Lord, I was like, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. And my, my heart started beating really hard, and I started getting warm, and I stopped breathing. And I didn't choose to stop breathing. It just happened. And I was sure in that moment, if I looked up, I would see the feet of God. And it's amazing, and it's so easy to get there, guys. Just push. Just push. Don't, don't settle for less. Ask for more. He, he gives good gifts. Louis, so it was Johannes and Louis praying. Louis lives in a flat on our um, property. So we, we spoke to him, um, I think, the day after. And the way that he described it to me, it's um, I've shared this many times, but when myself and Rona went to Indonesia in 2016, and there, there's a genuine revival going on there, biggest Muslim nation in the world, two million Muslims coming to Christ every year. Um, and the churches are, the churches are like, hundreds of thousands per church, and then they have like eight services a week. <laughs> That's the only way they could get, ev- and, and you have to like, if you've been to a service, you can't go to another one because then it's too full. <laughs> um, and people are getting healed, and they're not allowed to do outreach in that country. So um, there's no evangelism. It's all prayer. And um, they don't do altar calls in the service. The people just come by themselves, and they don't pray for healing. The people just get healed in the service, and we saw it when we were there. And when, when I walked into that church um, for the pre-church prayer meeting, they prayed in Indonesian, so I didn't understand a word. But um, I've, I've, I've last time when I got saved, experienced what I experienced there, um, like Johanna said, I was immediately, I wanted to repent. It, it, I immediately had this impression of who God is and who I am. And I immediately thought, yes, how, how is it that there are things that God asked me to leave behind and I don't want to? It's like insanity. It doesn't make sense. And I could just, I could let a lot of things go. And I repented of a lot of things and God exposed things in my heart. And it wasn't difficult and I didn't have to strive. It was a response to God's goodness. And it it flowed out of me and it changed me, literally changed me. And when Louis also described to us what happened with him and Johannes, um, it's it's that same spirit that I saw. It's the Holy Spirit. But spirit of revival so i'm very encouraged by just johannes and and louis testimony and i believe it's the trickle of what we're going to see come now so i want to encourage you to as johannes encourage you to spend time in prayer pray with someone it 
the nice thing about praying with someone is when you give up, the other one says, no, let's go on. And then when they give up, you say, no, let's go on. <laughs> um, because sometimes you have to pray through a few walls. Um, but how amazing that we can enter into that place with God. And I just had that sense as well with the Rosh Hashanah and um, just it being that day on the calendar as well. So it's now four past six, so we've just gone into it. <laughs> um, so tonight I'm going to share about the Kinsman Redeemer. And I just want to start with a bit of context. Who of you, if you show the three keys, Shanice, who of you have heard the sermons around this? Okay, quite, okay, so quite a lot haven't. So I just want to backtrack. So in February this year, my family went to Thailand on missions with some of the guys here. And um, I was rowing in a boat and I was asking the Lord, have you heard people say um, intercession is the key? It is the key that makes the kingdom come. And then someone else would tell you deliverance is the key. And then someone else says, no, 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 authority. Authority is the key. And someone else would say fasting. Fasting is the key. Someone else is only tithing. Tithing is the key. And um, who has heard people speak like that? When they feel strong about something? Who's read books who say that? Every book says something else is the key. Okay, so I'm rowing in this boat, and I've read quite a few books at that time, and I'm saying, Lord, I, if I feel like I have a massive bunch of keys in my hand. Which one is the key? <laughs> Everyone seems to think another one is the key. Um, like, Lord, which one is the key? And the Lord said to me, there's not a, a the key, there is a season, and there's a key for the season. And I asked the Lord, so what is the season? And that was in February, and he said to me, it is the lion roaring. And the Lord showed me these three keys, if you go back just to the three, and they have specific meaning for our church. So this is, for me, what the Lord, th these are the three keys that the Lord gives this congregation. And this is what we're unlocking in the Spirit. This is our specific mandate. Every church in the world, God asks specific things. The Bible speaks about lots of things that churches should do. One church can't do everything that's in the Bible. We need to find what has God called us to. The tree, it speaks about um, when we planted the church, God spoke to us as that the church is like a seed. And we, he showed us it's planted on the Jamison stairs. If you look at that first painting there, those five paintings in a row summarizes the history of our church. So the first one, that tree at Jamison, over the years, God kept showing us that the tree was growing, and then there was, uh, I think it was, was it last year or the year before, was Jamie? I meant last year, the year before, when it burned down, last year. God showed us all the leaders that how the tree burned down, and then showed us that he's bringing some, that it's actually a good thing, and he's bringing something new. But the, the tree with, the key with the tree is the key for UCT. I'm not saying the only one, it's not the only one, or the best one, or whatever, it's our one. <laughs> the mandate that God gives us at UCT. There's the key of the eagle, which is um, something that still comes, I'm not going to talk about it tonight. But then there's the key of the lion's roar. And when, as leaders, we spoke about this, the, the lion's roar was the one that I also drew it bigger because it's a spiritual one. It's, it's where, whereas UCT is a physical place, the lion opens a spiritual gate. Because of that key, we had Songs of the Prophets in May where we, we made a prophetic declaration that the Lord wanted to make. Who knows, what was the, the, the conclusion of the Songs of the Prophets? What did the Lord actually say? Who knows what the Lord actually said in the end at Songs of the Prophets? Okay, wow, just one or two people. So people could submit songs, prophetic songs from any church or any place. We selected the 12 that we felt was what the Lord was saying, but only on the night that we 
so we, we knew it would work like this because we allow the Lord to speak, then obviously we can't determine what he's going to say. <laughs> then we actually let him speak. So on the night, the prayer before the time, there's an Afrikaans song that was part of um, the evening, and it's called Lich. And the, if you translate the lyrics, it says something to the effect of, um, I came to your country with a torch, and instead of bringing the light, I burned the place down. So it's an identificational repentance of apartheid, sung in Afrikaans by Nell, um, who is a very prophetic guy. So it's, it's, it touches the nerve, it's a raw song. And then there, was, um, there were 12 songs, and they were all part of the story. I'm just highlighting a, a core part. But Mandisa and Olutandu had a uh, um, Zulu song, and it was speaking about comfort. And before, so it, it was kind of a response to the repentance of the Lord bringing his comfort. And when we had the intercession before the event, Nal felt that he should do that repentance again, just repent for everything that happened around apartheid and apartheid itself. And I saw a big uh, door in the spirit and I saw the key turn once and I felt that the key should turn again. And I just said, if anyone feels like they know how to, you know, they have the word to turn it again, please go for it. And then Mandisa prayed and she did a identificational forgiveness. And it was when she prayed that, so she said, the things that you've repented for now, we forgive. And repentance and forgiveness are two of the most powerful things in the spirit realm. It literally changes things. Think of the time when God forgave you. Well, he forgave you when he died on the cross, but when you received his forgiveness. Think of how that changes you. That actually came because you repented. Think of when someone has done something to really hurt you and they come and repent towards you. You know that change that happens in your heart. Repentance and forgiveness is very powerful in the spirit. Also, when you withhold it, it's very powerful. A lot of actual sicknesses come from withholding repentance or forgiveness. Because you hold it in, your body gets sick. And often we see healing when people are really sick, when they come, the, the Lord to show them something specific to forgive or to repent from. And then often they would get healed because their the healing was held back by that thing. So when Mandisa prayed that prayer, I felt that door open, something massive shifted in the spirit. It was very powerful. And this is a journey and we're walking it out. And um, this is the picture that the Lord gave me of the, the roar of the lion, the next one. The lion is, is not um, like soft and fluffy. He's powerful and strong, but he is good. He's God. He's the king with the crown, the prophetic, the eagle's feathers, and the oak leaves, the oaks of righteousness. So with all of this as, as background, there's um, specific seasons that we move in, and there's specific keys that the Lord gives us. And I want to share a little key with you tonight. And it's not one of the big keys, one of the main mandates, but it's something that enables us to walk in that which the Lord has called us for. And it's around the concept of a kinsman redeemer. So I'm going to share with you just basically the story of Ruth in the Bible. And then I will, because the story of Ruth is very much about the kinsman redeemer. And then I will explain the concept and then we'll take it from there. Just who, who does not know the story of Ruth really well? You just see how much detail. Okay, quite a few people. So um, Naomi um, and Yebimelech was um, a couple from, they were Israelites, so they were in the promised land. Okay, so God's people 
God delivered them from the Egyptians. He gave them the promised land. And they could take the promised land. Tribe by tribe, he gave them areas. Now, over a long time, they came in and they were supposed to conquer the land. They didn't all do it fully, uh, but they were living here. Now, there was a famine. So, um, Ibimelech and Naomi moved to the Mo Moab, where the Moabites lived. They moved out of the promised land. Um, she had two sons. Her sons got married to Moabite women. Her husband died. We don't know how. The two sons died. Also, we don't know how. So now it's just Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, which are not who are not Israelites. Um, in those days, if you were a woman, if you were not with your father or your husband, you had no rights. You could not do anything. You couldn't earn, own land. You couldn't actually own anything. So you were poor and you were destitute and you were in a terrible place. You could be abused because you were not protected. And um, so she wanted to go back. To, she heard that the famine had broken in, in um, the promised land and she wanted to go back. She said to the, her daughters, you stay here because this is your people. These are your people. Um, Orpah stayed, and, but Ruth, Ruth said, no, I'm coming with you. And there's that famous passage where she said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there where you are. So she was committed to her um, mother-in-law. And I love that it, in that section it says, um, your God will be my God. She was from Moab. She would not have previously worshipped God. Um, but obviously she, she has come to worship God through her husband. And now she doesn't want to stay in the country where she doesn't do that. She wants to move with her mother-in-law, which is amazing. So they move back. When, when they come back, they live in Judah. In Bethlehem and Judah, the, the people are happy that they're back. The people know Naomi. They remember her. Um, but she's not very bitter because she's lost her husband and her sons and she's destitute. And... Um, now, now they have to, the only way they can survive, because th they now don't, because men own everything, so they can't own anything, they can't own land. The only way they can survive is when the people work the land, they go, they walk behind the workers and they pick up um, what they drop, sheaves. Um, that's, uh, they call it, they glean the field. So this is what Ruth does, she gleans the field and... Um, it's a long story, but they realize that the owner of the field where she was is Boaz. And he is a relative of Naomi. Now, in if we read there Leviticus, let's read Leviticus 25. This was one of God's um, ordinances for his people, the Israelites. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale, restore the remainder, and he may return it to his possession. If he's not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. In Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. So God made this rule that a tribe has a certain amount of possession. And when they lose it because they have debt, they have to sell it, etc. So if, 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 not me because I'm a woman, but... <laughs> If this person here, who is a man, <laughs> let's call him Jacob, for instance, if he had a land, he had lots of land, and now he, he came into debt, he had to sell some of it, and God made a rule, there's a way for him, and say he had to sell some of his houses and whatever, there's a way for him to get it back. It's like his closest relative can buy it back. So let's say his cousin 
if his cousin is his closest relative, and there was a way to work out who's the closest relative, his cousin can buy it back, and then then it's it's not exactly his cousin's. Um, it goes back to him, and his children um, inherit from it. So Naomi realizes that Boaz is a relative, a close relative. So she realizes that if technically what should have how it should have worked, if she can marry him, then at least they come back into a place where they are protected and where they can live off the land, where they're allowed to live from those fields. And then she couldn't have sons anymore, but if she could, her sons would inherit um, from that estate, from those possessions. Now, um, Boaz, um, Naomi comes up with this plan, but she wants to look after Ruth. So she says to Ruth, she, she's trying to make a plan that Boaz would marry Ruth because she's old and she can't have sons anymore, but she wants Ruth to be looked after. So if Ruth marries Boaz, then she'll be safe, she'll be protected, she can live off the land, and her sons will inherit from the land. So there's this custom, and even some of the biblical scholars are not sure where, how it exactly worked, where it came from, but she went at night, and she lied by his feet, and then um, said to him, this, we are relatives of yours, could you be our kinsman redeemer? Okay, so this is the role. And he said, I, I will do it, but there's a closer relative, so it's not for me to do it. So he goes the next day, he goes to the closer relative, and he says, there's this land, do you want to redeem it? Do you want to be the kinsman redeemer? The guy says yes. Because he thinks he's going to then marry Naomi and she's going to have sons. So this guy has to give his own money to buy this land. If the, and then he has to marry the woman. But if she has sons, then that land goes to them. So, but if she doesn't have sons, then it stays in his family, so he gains. Now, now um, Boaz says to him, no, you have to actually marry Ruth. And then the guy says, no, I don't want to buy the land anymore. So to redeem the land is going to cost him something, his money. He has to pay for the land. If he ma then marries Ruth and she has children, then her children inherit it. So he loses out. He splits his estate. He spends his money to buy the land, but he doesn't keep the land for his children. Well, Ruth's children would then be his children, but it's not his original family line. So he, the guy retracts. He says, no, I don't want to do it. So then Boaz says, then if you don't want to do it, then I can do it. Then I can step into that place. Um, so what I see here with Boaz is a selflessness. He is willing to make a sacrifice to do the right thing for someone else, to restore something to someone else within God's law. So Boaz does that. They redeem the land. He marries Ruth and they have a son. And who knows who their son is? Obed, father of Jesse, father of David, lineage of Jesus. So it ends up being very significant. And what I also see from Boaz is that I believe he was someone who heard from the Lord. I think God has prompted him to do and to act wisely and to do what he needed to do. So this is the story of Ruth, and this is what a kinsman redeemer is. Now, if you look at the word for kinsman redeemer in Hebrew, it's goel. And the word comes from 
the word gal. So if you go on to gal, it's to redeem, to act as a kinsman redeemer, avenge, revenge, ransom, do the part of a kinsman. So there's a lot of things that a kinsman did. I'm not going through all of that tonight. Act as a kinsman by marrying a brother's widow to beget a child for him to redeem from slavery. So if say like if it was your brother, you marry a widow, but her children still is carries the name of the brother. So they don't become part of your line. You, you're just having those children for your brother to carry on his line. So it's, it's very sacrificial. You don't gain, you just give. Um, so if you go back to Goal, Goal is a person who does Goal. Okay, so Goal is to redeem, like a kinsman. So Goal is the one who does the redeeming. Okay, so to summarize the story, there's, there's, there's Boaz, there's Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi lost something. Boaz pays a price to get it back for them. It's an inheritance. This is the real key word, actually. They lost their inheritance. Boaz came, he bought it back for them. He paid the price, and he bought it back for them. Okay, where do you see the story in the New Testament? Jesus. Okay, I'm so glad it's that obvious. I preached the sermon this morning somewhere else, and it wasn't that obvious. <laughs> Maybe I made it more clear now. <laughs> so we can read this in Galatians 4. It's 4 to 7. It's in many scriptures, but ju- this is just an example. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Okay, so remember when, the, when he marries his brother's wife, her children... He cares for them, but they carry the inheritance of their father. They carry the name of their father. Jesus um, redeems us to bring us back to the, to the family of our father. Because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts to cry Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. You... Jesus buys you back your inheritance with his blood on the cross. So in the Old Testament, we're talking about physical possession. But now we're talking about hearts. What is it always about in the New Testament? It's always about hearts. If we say um, we're, gonna, we're really going to take Ronabosh for Jesus, what are we talking about? I mean, do we talk, are we talking about buildings? or physical land, we're talking about hearts. We're talking about people. If I talk about the church, what am I talking about? All of you. The presence of God and all of us, that's the church. It's got nothing to do with, this is the building, and the building can change. But in God's economy, is about hearts. Things change when hearts change. Who of you were here when we had the... Um, debates around economic empowerment a few years ago. It was really insightful and amazing. And we had perspectives from all different sides and from all different worldviews and from different religions and atheists and everything. And I really enjoyed it. It was very um, insightful. But what I walked away with that night was you can have the most amazing ideas in the world um, and you can think of amazing policies and strategies but when you've put it all down, I want to ask you if you are doing it yourself. 
if you have an amazing idea about, you know, who should give and where they should give, I want to know what you're giving. Because if you can't do it yourself, I don't trust that it's going to work. If it's not happening in your life right now, then it's a dream, pipe dream that you think it could work as a solution. Um, and we have to engage those things, and it's important, and there are solutions, and God has solutions. But what I realized that evening was, and, and, and the thing is, if, if you haven't done it yourself, then you're proposing something, but your heart hasn't changed. If you haven't even changed your own heart, if Jesus hasn't changed your heart, if your own heart hasn't even changed, then you're not even at step one. Over the years, this is the truth that I've seen. Your heart changes, hearts changes, things change. You can stand on your head until you're blue in the face and work through the nights. If hearts don't change, nothing changes. The issues of life flow from the heart. This is the currency. This is the spiritual currency, is hearts. So in the Old Testament, it's things that we're talking about possessions, but it's just an uh, analogy. It, it was really like that, but it's showing us something for now, and what it's speaking about is hearts. So we are, we were, Ruth and Naomi. We've been sold out of our inheritance, and most of we all were born in sin. We've been sold out to sin. And Ruth and Naomi, for instance, it, it wasn't even really something they did. It kind of happened to them. The reality is we're all born in sin. Um, my kids did not choose to be born in sin. They were just born in sin. <laughs> um, and when they're born, you then you think they're not born in sin because they're so cute. And then you just wait till they're like one year old, and suddenly you start seeing that after all it is in there. <laughs> First time you see it, it's quite a shock. <gasps> My child's rebellious. <laughs> Did you just say no to me <laughs> with an attitude? <laughs> um, but it's really in there. Everyone's born in sin. We all are sold out. To some extent, it's just the way it is. To some ex to a large extent, it's also based on choices. But we're all sold out. Jesus comes on the cross, and he redeems us back. He redeems means he pays the price. The blood is his price for our sin and for our lives, and he buys us back to our Father, restores us to our family line, and he buys us back to our inheritance in him. This is salvation. And... Um, I'm sure that most of us in this room would understand that. I'm sure it's also obvious that, say, say before Nyasha came to salvation, I can't buy Nyasha, I can't redeem Nyasha. I can't buy him back to God. Um, I, don't ha I could never pay what it takes to redeem a person. Only God redeems. So there's this picture... We were Ruth and Naomi, now we've come, now, before they were redeemed, now we are Ruth and Naomi, after they are redeemed. Boaz is a picture of Christ. Um, and at the moment, the world out there is Ruth and Naomi before they were redeemed. Where in this story is the church? What is our role? So if, if I, if, if let's say there is no role, let's just take it like that, say, so can God, can Jesus tonight, is it possible that he could go to each person in the world, wherever they are tonight, in their room or wherever, and meet them personally, sit with them, heal them from their sickness, heal them in their soul, in their emotions, their hearts, um, 
talk them through salvation, lead them to himself, and let them get saved. Is that possible that Jesus could do that tonight? Yes. Would that be a great plan? Yes. <laughs> Would that work? Yes. Could Jesus do that better than any of us could? Yes. Besides the fact that he can go to everyone and we can't. Even if there was enough of us, could he do a better job than we could? Yes. So why is he not doing it? <laughs> why? Why does he want us to help? Co labors with Christ? <laughs> we got to work, okay. It's a long theology that is. Um but yeah. So um I think that would have been an amazing plan. If if I had to come up with a plan that would have been the plan. <laughs> I think it would sort things out pretty quickly. Just change all the hearts tonight. That would be amazing. Can we just go on with all, without all the pain, without all the struggling? What Marianne said, God wants us to co-labor with him. That is unbelievable. Do you grasp how unbelievable that is? That God invites us to help him. How terrible at it are we compared to him? I'm not saying we're terrible at it, but compared to Jesus. It's like, it's like if I um, wash the dishes and everyone wants to help me, which he often does, which is amazing, and I let him help. Do you know how that turns out? It's like things break. He splashes the water everywhere. I'm, I'm wet, full of not clean water, dishwashing water. He's wet, um, and it takes like three times as long. That's how it is when Evan helps him with the dishes. I let him do it because I want him to keep on liking doing it because <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to cash in one day. <laughs> Hopefully sooner rather than later. It's taking a bit long now, but um, it's not really, really helping me. It's really making me slower and it's really making a mess. And sometimes I feel like it must be a little bit like that. For Jesus to reach someone with my help versus him just doing it by himself, I must really be making him slower. And along the way, I create messes. So it's unbelievable. It's like amazing. It really blows your mind that Jesus chooses to do this with us. If you look at just the principle underlying this, Genesis 1, 27, 28, and this is what I'm explaining now in theology is called the law of agency. And this is a crucial part of Christian understanding, Christian worldview. This is like a key thing to get down. And this is where it's biblically based. Genesis 1, 27, 28. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish, the birds, every living creature that moves on the ground. We don't have time to completely expound the scripture, but essentially this is where God says, I'm giving you as people authority on the earth. In this moment, God says, I'm not going to just do it sovereignly. He could, but he chooses not to. He says, I choose now to work through you. Does God sometimes do things sovereignly? Yes. But you know that's the exception. It's not the way that he intended it to be. The way that he intended it to be is to work with us. He chooses to work with us in our weakness, in our mess, as we are. Why would he choose that? He wants to be in relationship with us. 
that's why he created us for relationship and this is real relationship it's not um i'll just do something with you when you do it perfect we do this together even if it's a mess we're just going to walk it out together this is amazing amazing so practical example who of you have spoken to someone who's sick or maybe going through a difficult time for whichever reason maybe studies for the students lots of exams or something family drama whatever and then in conversation either like you're texting and then at the end you say i'll pray for you or in conversation you go i'll pray for you and then you go who if you have done that and then not prayed for the person okay who's done that often <laughs> okay why would you not pray for the person if you said you would practically think about it why didn't you Distracted, lazy, undisciplined, unbelief in the flesh. <laughs> so typically people say busy, distracted, selfish, lazy. Okay. So if I gave you a guarantee, if I could guarantee you right now that every time you pray for someone that is sick, they will get healed, would you again say it and not do it? If you had a guarantee that it would work, would you then do it or not? You would probably do it. Um, do you have a guarantee every time you pray that what you're praying for will happen? No. Every time you pray doesn't make a difference, even though it doesn't look like what you wanted it to look like. Yes. I believe why you say you will pray for someone and you don't do it is because you didn't believe it would really make a difference. That's why, because being too busy, how long can it take to, send a, to, to do a prayer? Sometimes you need to intercede, yes, but you didn't even do the quick prayer when you said you would pray and you didn't. You could have done a 10-second prayer. You, you can't be too busy for that. It's not possible. <laughs> you can't be too lazy for that. You didn't do it because you thought it's not going to make a difference. So somewhere inside of yourself, you didn't really believe that you're partnering with God, that God invites you to partner with Him. Somewhere within yourself, you reason something like, if God wants them to be healed, they'll be healed. But God isn't, didn't choose to do it that way. He chooses to do it with you. So every time you pray, it makes a difference, even though it doesn't look like what you want it to look like. And this is the law of agency. God wants us to do something with him. Okay, so coming back to the story of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, where are we in that story? Yes, that's what Raina said, right? <laughs> no, I think we're, I think we're sim somewhere else. We are Naomi and Ruth, and then we get yeah, into the kingdom, but then there's the other Naomi's and Ruth's who are not into the kingdom yet. The law of agency. We partner with God. Okay? So Boaz. We, we are Boaz with God. We are Boaz. Because as in the story of Boaz, he went and he redeemed what needed to be redeemed. Did Jesus make the way for redemption? Yes. Does he do it as a norm without us? No. Can I redeem someone? No. Can I pay the price? No. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus chooses to partner with us 
in a very real way, we open the way for people to come to Jesus in different ways. And I believe this is the, the key that the Lord wants to give us tonight. It's the key of the kinsman redeemer. God is the redeemer. Don't ever get that confused. Jesus is the redeemer. He pays the price. You can never save someone. Don't ever take that upon yourself. You can never save someone. You can never pay the price. But God is asking us, will we partner with him? And you know what? That will also cost you. And sometimes you think it's a lot, but it's actually very little. You think what Jesus already paid for you. Practically, what does it cost you? Prayer, time, intentionality, focus, giving someone a lift to church, thinking of inviting someone, getting the courage to talk to someone at the mall. Little things. Um, but there is a price. And I believe the key the Lord is giving us tonight is the Skinsman Redeemer key. Um, just the biblical context. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God created everything and he created everyone. Everyone belongs to God. 1 John 5 verse 19. We know we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Everyone belongs to God, but we are all sold out to sin. Okay, so everyone... People become under control of the evil one. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Everyone actually belongs to God. But a lot of people are sold out. They've been sold out of their family, fam the family of God. And they've been sold out of their inheritance. But Jesus paid the price at the cross. But the point is that that's not the full story. The full story is we have to co-labor with God to bring people in contact with their redemption. Does God sometimes do it without us? Yes. But as a norm, he chooses to partner with us. So this is a place where you have to say yes to God. And the specific thing that I want to encourage you tonight is that you're allowed to find your way of doing this. Okay, I'm not typical evangelist I'm not strong in anything evangelistic um, I love when Kathleen or Reno does the altar calls because they have the evangelistic anointing if they are here then I ask them to do it because I know that that's how we work together I'm an introvert I don't have a capacity for a lot of relationship I'm not a person who normally likes to speak to a lot of people say in a mall or something it's not my normal but I'm prophetic. This is what I am. This is my gift. And I've learned that this is my way to reach people. I can walk in the mall and I can trust the Lord for a prophetic word for someone and I can give it to them. And they can encounter God. And I don't really use apologetics when I reach out to people. I make a point of knowing apologetics because you have to be able to defend what you believe. And sometimes it comes up. Reino is a boffin with apologetics. He memorizes it. He can run the arguments. He, this, he can reach people like that. I can't. Is it okay that I can't? It's okay. I find my gifting. And this is what I want to encourage you tonight. But can I say I'm a prophet? I don't do evangelism. No. Because I'm not. This is the point. <laughs> I might as well go to heaven right now. <laughs> um, if there weren't any unsaved people, if Jesus like my plan, and he came tonight to everyone, then we, there's no point anymore. Then we're all going to heaven tomorrow, which would be amazing. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. 
um, this is why we are here. We are here because other people have not yet encountered God. Yes, there are lots of other things that God is also doing. I'm not taking away from that. But this is the most essential thing, is that people encounter God. And you are God's plan. You are the plan. I am the plan. There's no other plan. This is the plan. Jesus already died. That plan has already been carried out. The provision is there. The rest of the plan is us. And God gives us the grace for that. And you find your way. I've said this before, but and then this is you, you're welcome to take me up on this. But I'm an introvert. I can't have relationships with like four unsaved families for three years, you know, and really get to know them and get, let them trust me and see my life and lead them to Christ. There are some of you here who can do that, and you should do it if you can do it. If it's part of who you are, if it's part of your gifting, you should do that. I know that I can't, I don't have capacity for that because my, of my temperament. But I've said to people who do that, you do that. And then what I've seen sometimes happens with friends of mine. Now they've had relationship with this family for four years. Now they want to lead them to the Lord, but now it's difficult because um, it's difficult to now bring up the conversation strongly, you know. It's not like they've hidden the fact that they're Christians, but they've never confronted the other person. And now they have this relationship. And if you now offend the person, you lose a four-year build-up of relationship. So I've said to people, you invite me for dinner, and I will give them a prophetic word over dinner. And if they encounter the Lord, great. If they don't encounter the Lord, they think I'm really weird, I don't care. And when I leave, you have my permission to say, she's just a bit weird. then your relationship with them is not at risk. And if they have encounter with the Lord, then you follow them up. You continue to walk the road with them. I know what my gift is, and I know how to reach people with my gift. And this is my encouragement to you tonight. Reach people with what you have, what you have in your hand, but reach them, we have to reach them. I um, wasn't planning to share this, but it's coming up for me now. I've continually, when I drive from now walk from that area into the southern suburbs even feel it now i it's like i become aware of how many people are lost it's like i can feel it it's like i feel lost people in the spirit tens of thousands of i don't know how many 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 people who are lost many people who are in pain who need to only meet jesus they can just meet Jesus. That's the answer. That is the answer. Maybe it will not all resolve in a day, and that's okay. But nothing will resolve without Jesus. <laughs> Very little. Um, and, and I've become increasingly aware of it, and I'm so expectant for the grace that the Lord is giving us um, to reach them. And I believe that Louis prayer is, is a trickle of that grace. And, and that's also a place to press in for that grace. It's, it's, you have to walk with the two legs. I always see the, the prayer and the evangelism. You have to pray into it, and then you have to do it. Don't pray for months. Pray for two days, and then just do it. Um, it's, it's, will it cost you something? Yes. And this is the decision you have to make. You have to decide whether you're willing to pay a price for this. Am I talking about something heavy and hectic and striving and terrible? No. I'm talking about your time, your intentionality, um, buying someone a dinner, a coffee, 
you know, the extra petrol when you have to pick someone up, the extra effort, the extra time, the extra phone calls, that's extra thing in your week that you have to do. Um, but when you connect with the Lord in partnership, then it's not a heavy thing. Then it becomes an easy thing. And will it cost you courage? Yes. It's one of those things, it seems for me to never change. It's now, I went on missions when I was first year, so that's 17 years ago, that I started understanding that you could walk up to people and talk to them about Jesus. And some seasons of my life I've done it more, some seasons I've done it less. But essentially for 17 years I've been doing it. I've really done it a lot, a lot, a lot. Still, if I go tomorrow, I'm going with Jeanette and Alzon, we're going to go to Canal Walk, we're going to pray for people. I know when I do it, I will be scared. I will feel nervous. I get a little bit queasy. I will still feel like I'm going to walk up to them and not know what to say, even though I know that I will know, because I've really done it a lot. <laughs> will, th will it always take courage? Yes. Is there always risk? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Can people sometimes be very rude? Yes. Does it matter? No. Can you be rude? No. You just be polite. <laughs> As I always say, you have to be very polite. You ask permission to talk to people. If they say no, then you accept that. Don't um, like steamroll people. Be like God, gentle. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for stirring our hearts. Thank you for um, the signs of things to come, Lord. Thank you for revival in our own hearts and revival that flows out from hearts, Lord, and, and into other hearts, God. Thank you for hearts. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that even with your eyes, let the Lord just show you this picture. Thank you for the southern suburbs, Lord, that nothing in your kingdom is coincidental, let me just declare that of you, you are not coincidentally here. Whichever reason you are in Cape Town, you are here for a purpose. God has planned for you to be right here at this time. It's not coincidental. It's planned. There's context. Um, Jesus has much bigger plans than our brains can comprehend. Thank you, Lord, that we are here. And, and I pray, Father, as we pray now that we will see the southern suburbs as you see it, Lord. Show us the hearts, Lord. There are some people here that I want to unblock your ears in Jesus' name. Some people here are going to be able to hear in the Spirit. Let them hear, Father, the people calling out to you, the people looking for the truth. I thank you, Father. We are so privileged tonight to have the answer. Thank you, Lord, that even more than we found you, you found us. And thank you in this room, not one of us who are saved. Every single one of us has people around us who prayed for us talk to us about you thank you for them and I, I'm going to give you two minutes everyone that you know prayed for you or that spoke to you about Jesus brought you to church that contributed to you knowing Jesus you just thank God for them now and do it out loud and then you bless them Namaste.
God, we honor those who have partnered with you as kinsmen redeemers in our lives. We honor them tonight, Lord, because they're worthy of honor, Lord. We thank you for them. And in the spirit, we bless them, Lord. Bless them because we are the fruit of their labors, Lord. Bless them. Bless them, Father. Bless them in their relationship with you. Let them prosper, God. Provide for them. Bless their health, Lord. Give them protection, Lord. Give them success. Bless them. Let them walk in the calling that you have for them. Really bless them abundantly. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts can be full of thankfulness for those who have labored for us, Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that now that you would show each one of us, God, the people that we need to labor for, that we need to sacrifice for, that we need to partner with you as kingsmen, kingsmen, redeemers for, Lord. And I want you to just take some time and let the Holy Spirit show you. Just ask him about it and um, you speak to him about the people that he's showing you to, to, to take hands with God, to bring them in. Take their hands and bring them to God. Thank you, Father, that you show us who they are, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you give us a boldness. We ask you for a boldness, Lord. We choose to take risks, Lord. Help us, God, to lay down our own comfort or our own pride or self-esteem or image or whatever it is. Help us to, to take that step, Lord. Give us a boldness to speak life, to speak to people about Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that every mistake we make while we do it, that you would redeem that. Thank you that you go with us to cover us, Lord. Because we go with a heart of love. Thank you, Lord, that you stir us this week, Holy Spirit, with conviction, not to ignore the cries of the people, but to hear, Lord, what the Spirit is saying. Thank you for such a grace. We receive your grace to reach others. God, and I want to um, take authority of our sense in many lives in this place, so many things making you busy, and the busyness is, is keeping you from the moments. And Father, we thank you for a grace not to be busy. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest in you thank you lord that you cut out things that are not of use there's the people in this place you need to cut out series you need to cut out screen time things that that you do on a screen facebook and social media you don't realize how it's eating your time thank you father for that that boldness to cut things out lord that's stealing the moments I just sense for some of us this evening the lord says his his word is like fresh bread and you, when you walk past a bakery and you, you smell the fresh bread, you just want it. It smells so amazing. And it's like the Lord says, if you would just smell how amazing His Word is, then you would choose it above something else. Lord, thank you. Ask Him for that hunger. Lord, give me that hunger. So Lord, give me that hunger for Your Word. And it's like the more you choose it, the more you will have the hunger. The more you go for that bread of life, the more you will smell it. The more your nose will unblock in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for a strength that you build in this church. You build a strength to overcome, Lord, temptation. Thank you, Lord. I just see the Lord like some of our backbones are a bit like wobbly, like they're not strong, but the Lord wants to strengthen us. It's like every time you straighten up, you are building those muscles. You're strengthening it. Every time you choose the word, every time you choose to worship, every time you choose to speak to someone, you're strengthening in the spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we can choose to be strong in the Spirit. 
We choose to grow our spirits, to nourish our spirits. Thank you for the grace to do that. Thank you for partnerships in this building. Partnerships and accountability, Lord. We will not walk alone. We will walk together, Father. And I want to pray for people. And if you want to respond, you can put up your hand. I want to pray for people who you're not exactly sure what your way is of reaching people. What's your gift? If you want to ask the Lord to show you what that is, just put up your hand. I thank you, Lord, for every hand. I thank you that I can ask you, Jesus, to show them what is your way for them. And I want to encourage you to just go out and reach people any way you can until you find what works for you. And Father, I thank you as they go with the boldness, as they start just seeing what other people are doing and try, see, trying different things, um, but just going in love and reaching people. Thank you that you bless them. And thank you. It's, I see for some of you, many of you, it's like um, there's a groove and you're going to crisscross over it quite a bit. But at some point with momentum, you're going to slide into the groove. And you're going to understand the way the Lord uses you. But it will only come as you build momentum. It will only come as you keep going. Even though you don't find the groove, just keep going. going keep going in love. So thank you, Father, for a momentum. Thank you for a commitment. Thank you for, a, for that sacrifice, Lord, to keep going, to keep reaching. And I thank you for people in this building, for every hand, Lord. Thank you that they will find their way so that the kingdom will be multiplied. Thank you, Jesus. I just see when each one is in his groove, the kingdom comes. Lives are changed because you become who God made you to be and you live who you are supposed to be. And it's not, it's not hard and it's not striving. It's being who you are in connection with God and the kingdom comes in hearts. Thank you, Lord, for hearts. And we want to ask you now for hearts. I'm going to give you a few minutes and you ask by name. You say, Lord, thank you for this person's heart. Thank you for that person's heart to come into the kingdom. Whoever God shows you, ask by name. Ask for their hearts. 